Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. G, 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 take me away. G, 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 take me today. Welcome to the Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week, I talked to 9-11 first responder, medical professional turned comedian, Scotty Lavelle. Now, this episode is pretty gory and gruesome and kind of tense. I think Scotty's compartmentalized a lot of stuff, and I think I opened that compartment up a little bit. And not too much, I hope, but just enough. And uh, I think it was pretty beneficial for him seem that way. And I hope it's beneficial for you guys listening. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a filmmaker, musician, podcaster, they have a mobile app that makes your life easier. Go to the App Store and search for Future Moments and see what they've got. Okay, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. We're here every week. Okay, brace yourselves and enjoy. That means recording. Awesome. All right, Scotty LaBelle, thanks for being here. You are a 9-11 first responder. Yeah, man. Uh, hey, do you have like any kind of intro music or anything? I didn't hear anything. Like, you didn't get me in the mood. Like, that's all post production. Oh, bro, is this Don't how worry. you date? <laughs> I just get right to it. Pretty much, <laughs> it's all so, smoke and mirrors. But Gary never licks. <laughs> hi, you want to get married? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally think. By the way, can I comment on your super homely apartment? Homely as in ugly? No, no, homely as in like it's homey. Oh, homie is homely as in homie. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. I take part. Dude, I mean, honestly, you have like a tea cabinet. It's a very nice. Yes. Your bathroom is sparkling clean. Like it was clean with a toothbrush. I'm becoming very, well, I cleaned up for you. Oh, thanks, I treat my guests with respect. Wow. Yes. That's fucking admirable. That's kind of the reason I do the podcast in my apartment is to give me a reason to clean up. (laughs) So many more meaning behind that phrase. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about your medical profession, you as a 9-11 first responder, and then we'll get to the work you're doing in the comedy world and your painting and all that. But first, how did you end up as a 9-11 first responder? And I want to hear what it was like. Uh, okay, well, <laughs> man, that's a really... Uh, so the, I was working... Um, I was in school getting ready to start my anesthesia residency to be a CRNA. 
a CRNA. Yeah, certified okay. registered nurse anesthetist. Ah, basically, you do everything an anesthesiologist does. You're just their bitch, <laughs> right? Like a perpetual resident. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you you basically train med- medically trained. Yeah. 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 It, it's a bachelor's degree in nursing, and then you do like a year of prerequisites, nice. and then you do a two and a half to three year program. Now they're all PhDs. Oh, you got in up. before that. Yeah, I got that. into the winter. Yeah, I had MSN. So now everybody is, they're moving towards all of them being PhDs. So you could be a nurse as well? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. 100%. That's a solid living right there. Yeah, I know. I, 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 nursing is like a, a very uh, humbling profession. I bet it's extremely humbling. But it's all, I bet you see so much gore that you're just grateful to be able to walk and breathe healthily. Um, yeah. Yeah, if you work, uh, it's really weird because if you work in a cancer hospital mm-hmm. and all day long you see 35-year-olds marching through the door, 18-year-olds. Yeah. Um, with cancer. To, with cancer. Like the, the nurses at Sloan Kettering, yeah. the ones that recover people mm-hmm. from surgery from, uh, you know, whatever is going to take out their tumor. Yeah. They have various surgeries for various body parts. And you see that day in and day out. And then all of a sudden you're just like, fuck like everybody has cancer because all you all you're exposed yeah all you're exposed to is that percentage right you know do you get non-cancer guilt um uh, one i've never really ever heard that (laughs) (laughs) i just made it up (laughs) oh great oh wait wow you're throwing it all out there aren't you but i do feel like there is a shortage of gratitude in general from people i think it's just probably human nature well you know we're, we're kind of leaned naturally towards complaining about things and then there's nothing like a good health scare to really kind of like smack you into perspective yeah 100 percent, or a scare within your family or somebody that you love mm-hmm. yeah. because it's like you know really like my dad recently passed away uh-huh. um and he was a real character you mm-hmm. know like you know you can think of like an anchor man, like he was amazing, like yeah. he was super fun, like it was like having like a, I don't know, like a blues brother for a dad, your whole life. Yeah, he was like always the bud, the party kitten. Oh, you do know? you feel like there's been a big shift in your life since he left? Um, you know, uh, we, you know, it was kind of a role reversal because as he, he had um, a really bad aortic aneurysm, so mm-hmm. that's a tear in the muscular vessels that take oxygenated blood and pump it to your brain. Oof. So it's the kind of scariest place to have surgery. Yeah. So like you could say a double lung transplant, mm-hmm. a re- replacing aortic arch is, um, so you have liver transplants, mm-hmm. you have, um, deep tunneling brain or brain tumors that are near vital areas. Yeah. Um, there are only certain procedures that you would be really freaked out about. And yeah. having your aortic arch replaced is one of them. <laughs> I'll bet. Because it's, they, uh, you're really getting to the heart of the heart there. Yeah. That's, that's the, uh, that is the most precarious place mm-hmm. I would say. And, uh, so he went through that procedure. Yeah. He had a real, his was terrible. It was mm-hmm. dissect. There's dissecting everywhere all the way down to his kidneys. Mm-hmm. And he had like a 5% chance of survival. And, um, did he make it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I took him to the number one place in the world, Cleveland clinic. 
get out. Yeah, dude. I Cleveland? Got, I got him in with a guy named Eric Roselli. Uh-huh. Um, the number one guy for aorta surgery was a guy named Lars Svensson. Mm. I don't know if I should say all this on thing, but but uh, we ended up going with this guy when I got up there. I did this German like, guy. Um, no, uh, Eric Roselli is like an Italian from Ohio. Okay. I think I believe I don't know because Lars sounds kind of Lars weird. is. Uh, I think he was Swedish. Oh, okay. And 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 uh, he was now Eric Roselli. Now is like at the top of the yeah. aortic uh, surgery chain. But so your dad survived that, but then he ended up passing away later yeah yeah it bought him like another i mean another 10 years wow yeah he he actually came out with he he was the guy with nine lives like his um did his perspective change when he came out alive from that surgery no he was emotionally stifled when he was a teenager Uh uh-huh yeah so he was just always in that mode like the cool guy at the party yeah you know whenever you um you know whatever your traumas are in love like even the most benign traumas, yeah, it kind of shapes the way you you interact with the world and mm-hmm. how sure. you sure across. Well, that was kind of, that kind of gets to the crux of my question. I I'm lucky enough to still have both my parents, yeah, and I was just wondering if that changed for you losing a parent. Um, no, I mean I I actually mourned his death so many times. Like he was so close to dying. Like. Right. More than I can count. You know, right. Like just always, he was in and out of being a DNR and he just was a cat with nine lives. Yeah. But his personality was definitely in there and he got to the point where he couldn't even get out of bed or move or take care of himself. He was full care. Right. Um, and, and that was the hardest part. It was just like, I could look into his eyes and I can see his just pain. He just yeah. didn't want to be in a wheelchair. He didn't want to be in a nursing home being wheeled around gomers with your profession you must have seen a lot of people in that kind of pain yeah but i'm uh, sure it's 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 obviously different when it's your a family member you know it's uh it's different when you're in anesthesia because you're not always if you're in a big hospital like i worked uh, or still work in a big trauma center i don't want to say the hospital but Mm -hmm. um uh and you cover all of the different services like i do anesthesia for cardiac i do anesthesia for uh OB, mm-hmm. uh, I do for general, just any thing that you can get anesthesia for. Yeah. We do it. We don't do much aorta surgery. When you give people anesthesia, are they in pain before you administer it? Sometimes it depends on what, like, it doesn't, it depends on where they're at and their, like, mm-hmm. their injury. Yeah. So if somebody has a really bad traumatic motorbike accident. Right. You know, um, and he has broken legs everywhere it's, or fractured pelvis. It's extremely painful. So you, so you, those people are usually hopped up when they come in. Right. Because like, the paramedics don't just let somebody writhe. Yeah. As long as they have a secure airway. Because it's actually dangerous to be in that much pain. It could send the, bo- the body into shock, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's other things that cause shock probably faster than just pain. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> if like you're really what? fucked up. Like if, you're, if you have like a cr- major crush injury right right you know if you are riding your motorcycle at 60 miles an hour and hit a pole Mm -hmm. pain's gonna be the least of your worries yeah yeah i saw them drag someone out of a someone jumped in front of a subway really yeah and i saw what was this 
it was a few years ago, probably like four, at least four years ago. Yeah. So of course they stopped the train. Everyone had to get out of the subway platform and they pulled this guy out on a stretcher and I just happened to be there. And on the stretcher, he was lying down with a blanket over him, but they didn't cover his face. So I imagine that was because he was still alive. Mm -hmm. But sticking out of the blanket where his chest would have been was just like his body was just like ribs were just sticking out. And there was weird pointers in the blanket. He just looked completely mangled. Wow. Yeah, that, it, that must have been very... Uh... But his face looked serene. So did you... Did you um, well, how did that affect you? That bastard made me late. <laughs> of course you're a New Yorker, dude. Of course. Is that a bit? Is that one of your bits? No, it's not. should be. That's, That's just... it. <laughs> we get the crowd to really love you right up top. I'll do that for the tourists at LOL. <laughs> see what New York is like. Yeah. <laughs> this is how it is, people from Wisconsin. <laughs> yep. Fuck you. We're jaded and heartless. <laughs> dude, it, New York does kind of make you a little bit. Oh, I think you have to be. There's it's just too much. You can't absorb all the fucking energy from this crazy city. If you're an empathetic person here in New York City, you will just be knocked down. <laughs> you can't. My wife is already building her walls. You have to build your walls. <laughs> She's yeah. already building them. It's 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 hilarious to watch, you know, because everybody has their own way, mm -hmm. you know. Right. On their own way of putting up the walls yeah. to block it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you ended up in the medical profession. You're doing all this... Uh, anesthesia and nursing kind of stuff how does that bring you to be a 9-11 first responder so i mean i was in um i was working in atlantic city in a small eight bed trauma unit uh-huh and so like all of our pay like i was just it's you could get anything you could get uh um, drains in the ventricles of your head you could have people, drains in the ventricles of your you had neuro uh trauma Okay. You had all the different mixed trauma. Whoa. Uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm getting distracted here just because I'm thinking like ahead of myself. But yeah, you people basically would throw themselves off of parking garages after they gambled their life away. You know, I bet it all on red, you know, and then right. they just would be like, Poof. but if they threw themselves off the wrong side of this parking garage, the Taj Mahal, they would hit these planters that were on the side. Uh huh. So we would have a lot, we'd have a lot like, you know, like at least one person jump off of this thing a month. This was a people that were losing gambling. They would try and kill yeah. themselves. This is a long time ago. This is pre nine 11. Right. It's actually, actually that year that I was in Atlantic city working in this job when the towers fell. Okay. And then yeah. what brought you to New York city? Was it on your own? Yeah. So, I mean, I was working, I had three 12 hour shifts in a row. Wow. So on September 11th, I still had two more, mm -hmm. two more left to go, two more left to go. So yeah. two more days. And, uh, and I was like, Oh my God, I have a lot, I had a lot of friends. I had a buddy named Ryan that lived in the city mm -hmm. and I knew a lot of people around Brooklyn. I had been coming to New York a long time cause I was in Pennsylvania for my training Yeah, and I had friends in the city. So I would go when I was in college from Philly to New York. And you were living in Atlantic city at the time? Uh, yes. I was living in Atlantic city. This living, was between, working. this was between graduating college and going, getting ready to start the anesthesia portion of my master's degree. Okay. And, uh, I um, saw it happen right after a shift, and I was just... You saw the plane hit the tower yes, on was, TV. Right when I finished my shift in the morning, uh -huh. I was at home. I was in this big shore house. I was engaged to this Italian girl, and I was staying in her parents' shore house, mm -hmm. and I just was mesmerized. You know, I was just mesmerized and dumbfounded. This is when the, the first plane hit the tower. 
the whole from the first all the way through You're them just plowing, watching it on just TV. watching it on TV. And mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be sleeping because I have to be in for another night shift. Right. You know, I have to be in at like 7 p.m. 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. was the shift. Yeah, I saw it live on television. I was living in Los Angeles, and a lot of people don't know this, but they started, they stopped showing a lot of the footage. If you were on, if you were watching TV when it happened, you saw people jumping out of the top of the yeah, towers. Yeah, I, I, I was, I actually started crying. Yeah, it was because it's like that. I that was the first time I've ever really seen somebody to make that to, like had like a representation of thought of people making this decision should i would i rather burn or would i rather fall yeah and a lot of people were choosing the fall and you're just like whoa i'm watching this yeah and they were showing that on television and then at some i mean i think that might be you know a lot of people's biggest nightmare i can't imagine to have the thought process of okay this is it how do you want to go how do you want to go yeah yeah I imagine uh, jumping to your death would be better than burning yourself. I, a hundred percent. I'd be, a, I, if I, if it was, if I was going to die in a fire, I'd rather jump. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, but, but they stopped showing that because if you're watching it live, you could see the people jumping. Yeah, up. I agree. I agree. I, I, I wish I hadn't seen it. Yeah. You think, <laughs> you know a what I mean? I, I, I mean, it was just, yeah, I think it was a good decision. It was mm-hmm. really terrifying to watch that. Yeah. People were hitting cars. Poof, there's reporters you're hearing people's bodies like right. careening down from the top of a yeah you're hearing tower. The thuds. Ugh, it was just so you're watching it on television in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. What happens next? How soon did you get there? And so why? and I, why? So I uh, wanted to go and see if I could be a, of any assistance because I was a trauma nurse. Mm-hmm. We were dealing with tr- people. That's all we did. You know, people. That, we had people with their bowels outside of their body. You know, something called a bow bag. We had um, neurotrauma and everything that goes with that, with putting drains in the mm-hmm. skull and monitoring the intracranial pressure. I'm fighting the desire to ask you how people end up with their bowels outside of <laughs> in a bag. <laughs> so uh, it, it, sometimes when people get like third degree liver lacerations, whether it's like gun or uh, knife trauma, uh-huh. they get um, an inflammatory process happens in their bowels and their peritoneum and uh, you can't close you can't close the skin especially if it's in a thin muscular athletic person right so if you close the skin over inflamed it just pops tissue no it'll create pressure in the abdominal cavity that will not allow your body to heal and could potentially kill so you have to put the bowels on the outside yeah and they're in a clear they're like they have a sterile covering uh-huh. And the person lays there medicated with wow. a breathing tube in the windpipe. Until the swelling goes down, then you put the bowels back? Yeah. Until the swelling goes down, then the surgeon can naturally close the skin back. This might be the goriest podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, you guys would be amazed at the stuff nurses see that work in, in trauma units. They mm-hmm. they really deal with, especially burn units. Now when you, so Burn units are the, burn unit nurses. Yeah. You know, wherever you are out in nursing land, you must. They seen. are heroes because I couldn't even do that. That's yeah. That is just. I did anesthesia for it, and it was just. Are you ever worried when you look at somebody that it's going to be like permanently branded into your thought, and you won't be able to get an image out of your head? Um. Very early on in my nursing 
career before I went into anesthesia. anesthesia. Yeah. Um, I compartmentalized people mm-hmm. and patients that I would get that would be really fucked up. Yeah. And I would just focus on systems. Systems like, to systems for them to like if if they're having respiratory failure, I'd focus on that. Right. When you're a nurse, you you're you're doing you're giving lots of medications and you're scheduling treatments and taking them on road trips to get scanned and to get various therapies. So you're compartmentalizing your emotion and just focusing on the task. yes the tasks. Yeah. yeah, you become very task oriented. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you think that that's really even possible to, to compartmentalize something? Because don't you think that compartment just kind of is still there somewhere needing yeah. to be dealt with? Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> everybody has their own ways of dealing with things. Um, and, I, and I'm not trying to say that like a lot of healthcare providers just immediately become desensitized. Mm-hmm. But a lot do. Yeah. Because it's a natural defense mechanism, in my opinion, a natural defense mechanism sure. for internalizing everybody's collective pain. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, all of this stuff, you, when you see, when you work in a big trauma hospital or a level one trauma center, you'll see the same thing that police and firemen see. Right. You're actually kind of at the root of sadness and trauma and despair. And everybody has their own way of dealing with that. And, it's it's not just seeing the injury; it's seeing how it impacts the children and the and the families, families and the parents and the crying relatives, yeah, and loved ones. Whole waiting rooms filled with people, yeah, that are mourning potential loss. Yeah, and their whole lives have been turned upside down, and that's just for you—just one patient of many in one day in one work shift. Yeah, I've had some crazy shifts, and I've been doing it for fourteen years. Wow. So I've has, I've had some really because I used to do twenty four hour shifts. Do you go to therapy? Um, I have been, but mm-hmm. uh, I I feel really. <laughs> this is gonna. <laughs> people are like this guy. Fuck this guy. <laughs> He's the next serial killer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the fuck this Ted Bundy. No, mm-hmm. I I feel like uh, I, I'm in a great place mentally mm-hmm. right now. I have had therapy for sure. Um, I've read every self help book. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm one of those guys of the you're, four agreements. You, you are the power of now. Huh? Right. You're working on yourself. I have been ever since my early 20s. But those self-help books are more for getting stuff accomplished and kicking ass in life. Not, not, no, I, I, I would disagree. Yeah. You, you read stuff that helps you deal with this kind of trauma. and Yeah. A perfect book is called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm, yeah. it, it, it's really uh, helps you kind of unlayer. Mm-hmm you know, the source of your initial traumas, I guess. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, and uh, I don't know. I'm one of those people that I, I really, I had a pretty crazy childhood. We moved uh, roughly 13 times from when I was in pre-K all the way through fifth grade. Why? So, I know we're going on crazy that's like two, that's like That's like a two and a half times per year changing schools. Yeah, for when a kid is in school, it's not a great you know, it's challenging it, for a it, kid. Our life was like a gypsy circus. Why? Why all the moving? <laughs> um, my mom and my father um, got together in the seventies. You know, and they mm-hmm. were both like disco party kittens. Yeah. And they and my dad was a flashy real estate guy. Mm-hmm. You know, in the late seventies, early eighties, and he he just was Bud the party kitten. You know, and my mom was like this kind of. She was newly diagnosed with epilepsy, 
Okay. Um, was put on all kinds of really crazy anti-convulsant drugs. Wow. So this, she was very vivacious when we were really little. And then once she started getting on all these, you know, valpuric acid and dilantin, kind of some people can become numb. This doesn't sound like a reason to move around a lot. No, but my father couldn't deal and bailed. And then we ended up just following him around the country. Oh, with you, with your mom? Yeah. Okay. She loaded up the station wagon with the wood paneling, and we just were like the Okies. <laughs> like, where in the what? Where is Bud? Like, and we would always end up going back to my mom's parents' house, right? Which they had a farm north of Pittsburgh. When you say you were following him around, was he in the car with you? Or no, no, he would no. just take off. He would just take off. And then your he'd mom. pop up in Texas, like I'm working in Texas now. And then he's like, and then he'd get to on the phone with my mom and be like, I want to see the kids. I miss you guys. Blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And, then, and then it would be like, we're going to go live with your father and everything's going to be great. And this pattern just kept repeating itself all the way through our childhood. Wow. Yeah. Like over and over. It was funny. Like my, I have two older sisters. The oldest one was really jaded. <laughs> yeah. The middle one was emotional. And I was just like this little clown that didn't give a crap. And was kind of opportunistic, you know, like how many different schools by what age? Um, we changed schools and I estimated, I sat down with my sisters one Thanksgiving and we like counted. Yeah. Like the grade changes. Yeah. Um, and sometimes three times in one year we'd change schools. We'd go to the school, go back to the school. Right. And then go back again. Up to what grade? Um, up to fifth grade. And that was when my sisters were old enough to be like, uh, you guys, we don't really care what you're doing. We're staying in Tampa. We'll just stay with our friends. Like, and is that, and that's what happened? Pretty much. Yeah. It was my oldest sister was just like, we're not moving anymore. Like she made the executive decision. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she was really smart. Yeah. That's hard on a kid. Yeah. You're trying to figure out your friends and your place in society and your identity. Yeah. It was, it was great. I, I mean, I actually, um, because we had very little parenting, mm-hmm. I had an, uh, um, kind of a, a free childhood. Right. You know, yeah. I was always a little kid circling outer space, like the. I was always wearing the dunce cap, you know. But yeah. I kind of relished the dunce cap. I think that's uh, pretty common with uh, parents from that generation. Yeah, you know, the parenting style is so different. Now. I just, dude, I raged. I did whatever yeah. I wanted. Yeah, and I was a kleptomaniac. The the parenting <laughs> style now seems to be overparenting, where back then it was underparenting. <laughs> yeah, definitely underparenting. <laughs> just, They'd be like, "Here's scissors, go run with them." Yeah, exactly. Make sure you carry them <laughs> correctly. I and... just remember my parents always sitting on lawn chairs and us just like stabbing each other with things and beating each other with like, you know, like it was like throwing <laughs> totally. sand in each other's eyes. It was like crazy. Like yeah. it was, it was fun. I had it. I had the best. I mean, we moved a lot, but I had the best childhood. I was like Eddie Haskell. I like totally like fucking ran around and got whatever I wanted anyways. Yeah. You know, you made it work for you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how did you end up? We've gone on so many tangents, but uh, I'm, I've been enjoying them. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. <laughs> that would have been great if you like, we've been on so many tangents that were totally lame and like you're such a loser. I'm not only the host. I'm also a listener. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. Okay. So. You are in Atlantic City. You're about to approach your second 12-hour shift. You're wa- you get home from your first shift. You're watching on the TV. The planes hit the towers. And you're just compelled to drive to New York City and help? Yeah. No, you weren't ordered of by your boss. Like, I was like, I want to be there to help. 
what was your division contracted by New York City? No. So it was kind of just a free for all, man. And there was like, there were groups of paramedics from Atlantic City and fire rescue that went up. But you didn't own. show up for your shift. Didn't they fire you? No, no, no. I did one more shift and then blew off the last one. Okay. You, you told them you want to go up. I was up. like, yeah, I don't want to go up. I want to go up. I have friends there. I want to go up. Right. And uh, I ended up taking a bus into the upper uh, part of Manhattan, like around the park area. I think maybe even the Lincoln Tunnel we went through. Okay. Um, either that or the George Washington Bridge. But I ended up taking a It was like probably three. It was like three days after. So I did work two shifts. I blew off like the fourth. Right. But it was like three days after I took a bus into the city. Now, did you have gear with you? or did you No, just, no. Just, just a book bag. I had some underwear and some socks. You just wanted to take a bus into the eye of the storm and see what was going on? Yeah. Uh-huh. I wanted to go connect with my friend Ryan, who was living in the city. Okay. So then I, when I got to the city, I was able to get a hold of him on the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, hey, man, you can come to my house. I'm here. Mm-hmm. You know. And I was like, look, man, I'm, I came here to go help, so I'm going to catch a ride into ground zero mm-hmm. and so i started walking down towards ground zero with my stuff i stopped at a store bought some cameras like little handhelds yeah those shitty disposables yeah the shitty disposables yeah um and uh i got into an ambulance i stuck my thumb out all these the you know ambulances and trucks and just before the military really got involved right and militarized it um and these guys picked me up in an ambulance and we rode down into ground zero. So an ambulance picked up a hitchhiker. Yeah. I was wearing my stethoscope and I had Atlantic city medical center. Oh, you did trauma nurse shirt on, you know? Okay. So you showed up as a medical professional and not as just like some dude off a bus. No, I showed up looking like a medical professional. Right. Yeah. I had scrubs on. Good. Good. Yeah. 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 I didn't, I, I, you could, I clearly looked like I was trying to be there for medical reasons. (laughs) Right. That's great. So the ambulance is like, we need more people. Uh, well, it turns out they didn't, but they were just like helping a brother out. Like, come on in. We're going down to this staging area. Okay. You know what I mean? What is the staging area? The staging area was a high school. I forget the name. I don't want to misquote, but like maybe Washington something high school. The high school was right next to the towers. Okay. Um, uh, that dude from the Sopranos was there. Uh, Tony Soprano? No, the young, uh, Italian. Christopher. I don't know. Doesn't matter. I, I didn't watch the show, but that yeah. guy was there. Helping out? Yeah, he was helping out. There's a couple celebs there. Mm-hmm. And it was basically very evident when you got into this high school that there were more than enough people. There's ner- there's eyewash stations. Mm-hmm. Like the most I saw was a firefighter coming in with some dirt in his eye, you know. And, uh, you know, it got to a point really early on, like a, after the first three or four days that Everybody who's going to be found was going to be found, you know. But they were still looking for people when you got there. They looked for people for months. Man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was more. I think you're a, simplifying it a little bit. Maybe you've compartmentalized some stuff. But what do you mean? I mean, you got there, and you you got there two two or three days after it happened. Yeah, there's still burning rubble. And, yeah, and I mean, bodies. Let me tell you, I. I if you were there and you see and smell mm-hmm. just all that powder that was in space was just everything that could be, dis- you know, all that concrete just dissolved to dust. Yeah. And the stench was, and stench was there for months. Insane. Mm-hmm. How volatile and this, the area looked 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like, you thought to yourself, like, I can't even imagine anyone surviving this. Even people that were close to the building, you're just like, it, it was just looked like a nuke yeah. hit it. Yeah. It was really crazy looking. How did you and feel the first time you saw the I rubble? was just sad. Uh-huh. I don't know what else to say. Just sad. I mean, it must have Knowing been- all that, like, I was on a... What, you realize you're walking on a massive gravesite. Mm-hmm. All these people had just died. Mm-hmm. Thousands of people just died. And all these people were in these lines, bucket brigades, and uh, it became very apparent that they were just smelling out, you know, to get remnants of people so people could have closure. And it was just sad. Yeah. I had, a, I had another first responder on this podcast, uh, Sergeant Bill Cannon. Yeah. And he was there and basically just dealing with body parts. Yeah. It's how anybody that was there and you were on the bucket brigade, that's kind of what you're, what you were doing. You would just carry out rubble. People would locate what they thought somebody, an area somebody was in. And then they, people would start digging by hand to find towards that person. Using their hands to dig. Yeah. And buckets to carry stuff out. And yeah. then when a body would come through, it would be in a bag or parts of somebody would be in a bag. You saw this? I was on the bucket brigades for days. What is the bucket brigade? Um, like when you, so I actually, um, after the first day of being there, I, um, you uh, might need a sip of your bourbon. For yeah, this. I know. God, wow, you're really bringing me back, dude. I've honestly, this is the first time I've ever really talked about it. Well, I could tell you've compart. I'm trying to open up that compartment. I could tell yeah. it's locked in there. If you don't mind. No, I mean, am I being callous? No, not at all. Oh, okay, I'm just looking for more details. Oh, okay. Grab that drink right there. <laughs> Gary's trying to get Scotty loaded so I can start crying on his shoulder. <laughs> Gary, man, you know, uh... wrong drink. You grabbed the wrong drink. I know. I'm. I'm have my green tea, dude. Gives me energy. Yeah, so what is the Bucket Brigade? So I got there. Yeah. I was uh, signed into this book of this high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I just talked to PJ Landers about this. Like, I never realized that you had to register for three things. I sh- I'm on one registry, but I need to register for two more things. PJ, PJ Landers was a first responder. Yeah. And uh, he was telling me this. The mm-hmm. other day. Register for what other? Things? In case you get like uh, mesothelioma or any kind of lung cancer or problems yeah. later in life. Yep. There's like a whole uh, group you can be in to. Uh, yeah. A lot of people that have re- better resources, I, I would imagine. Yeah. I hope this is common knowledge, but a lot of first responders breathed in a lot of toxic stuff. But... I knew it. I knew we were. I'm sure. I could. I, I was breathing through my teeth. And then. Yeah. I, and then. Um. They there's like this open air market, like everybody, like all these retailers started dumping goods onto these piles. It was like not organized in the beginning. Like, what do you mean dumping goods? So, like, uh, for instance, Rockport mm-hmm. pulled up with the truck and unloaded a bunch of boxes of work boots. Oh, to help people. To help people. Oh, uh-huh. okay. so all the people that were working on the pile, yeah, um, could go and get a six pack of underwear or a six pack of socks because Target dumped a truckload of crap. Right. Walmart dumped a truckload of crap just to help Timberland. Like even brands were dropping clothes off and food off and stuff. And then after in the beginning, it wasn't organized. It was just like mountains of things. Mm -hmm. Like I went and picked up. So then when I left the high school, I got past this first little area. And then there was this like 
all this stuff. So I got like a hard hat and I got like a respirator and I got a bib uh-huh. and I got boots and I just started dressing uh, the part. And now, did then, anyone help you with this stuff or are you just grabbing stuff off a mound? Just grabbing stuff off a mound. It's just a disorganized. Totally. Chaos. It was totally disorganized. Uh-huh. It was really disorganized. Right. And, and then I saw a group of like union guys going in with carrying sawzaws. Those are these saws that cut the metal. Yeah. And I just kind of tagged along with them and then walked into ground zero. And really, we didn't get checked. I mean, it was just like we walked by guys kind of guarding, you know? Right. And then um, I uh, followed these guys in through a mall that was adjacent to one of the towers. I'm not sure what tower. Like, there was an anthropology in it. Right. You know, this is back, back then. And we went up to, like, the second floor of this mall. Yeah. Or third, like we walked up a like a shutdown escalator, mm-hmm. and we walked out onto the pile from there. You, there's just rubble all around you. It's it just like one. It's like you just ripped off the wall of a mall, right? And so like you'd come from the hallway outside of like an apothecary or not a. What's the story? Apothecary? No, not a pocket. Pharmacy? No, no, no. The first store that I mentioned. A mall. Are you high right now, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, anthropology. Oh yeah. So, like, I just, you walk up the top of the escalator and there's, like, an anthropology, but then, like, a ripped open hole in the wall uh-huh. where there used to be other stores. Right. And then you would walk out onto this rubble and then people were forming lines into the rubble and it was called a bucket brigade. And they'd be passing five-gallon buckets back of debris. So to clear the clean, debris. Clean buckets would go up and... Mm-hmm. Like full buckets would go back. So let me paint the picture. They're clearing the debris to look for more bodies. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Because they're trying to search and rescue. But, you know, four days after the towers fell, Mm -hmm. four or five days, it was apparent that it was not going to be really a rescue. Right. But they still got to To me, at least. I don't know about other people. Yeah. Uh, Because you have a, a building's worth of concrete falling on top of you yeah like a very very high building so that's a lot of concrete it's a lot of rubble to sort through i I mean yeah that i mean that's obvious dude they're looking for bodies yeah yeah i mean it was crazy Mm -hmm. how um so it just looked and 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 it was dangerous too like the the, as the beams were heating up like the the pile was shifting and they would have an alarm for people to run off uh like like They'd sound this horn like, like get off the pile, like because as things were still things were still on fire deep in the ground. Yeah, so it was causing shifts in the debris. So it can kind of form like a quicksand. Well, yeah, if like a pocket gives out or beam shifts, it's all still settling. It's still all still set. Well, yeah, it was burning, and so it was still moving around. So, so on this bucket brigade, are you pulling? body parts out so there were you know it was it was kind of really random mm-hmm. um you'd hear a guy searching behind the line of the bucket brigade and you'd be like i found something here and then a line would shift out to that guy yeah. but still go this direction like people were crawling down into voids to look for people and then once they thought they located a body mm-hmm. of, or, or they, they located somebody then the attention would go to that area. Right. And then they would hand dig out. It's almost like you're digging for treasure, but you're digging for people. <laughs> See, I can compartmentalize too. My God, dude. <laughs> and who's the serial killer on this one? <laughs> Jesus, Gary. That was funny, man. 
Fucking so Dexter is like interviewing me. <laughs> <laughs> so on this bucket brigade, you're pulling out body parts. Occasionally, a bag mm-hmm. with with a bag would go by, a potty bag would go by with whatever it would be, mm-hmm. and it would go down the brigade. So they were carrying them out too. How and if it get- was a firefighter, if they found a helmet or some remnants of a firefighter, oh, yeah, then then you would know. Because the the guys leading the bucket brigades, the the main first responders were the firefighters mm-hmm. and, and police officers. And a lot of those people passed away too, huh? I don't know. I don't. I I don't really follow mm-hmm. September 11th facts. Okay, but were you pulling body parts out of firefighters? Not their bodies. No, no, no. Gary, this is kind of morbid, bro. Well, I'm curious. No, but I know, but it's like you got to, I think like we need to be more sensitive of the, of the way we're talking about it. I you, feel like we're being kind of blunt. You think I don't people would be offended? I'm just curious of the details. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't, I, I guess maybe I'm just paranoid. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it was apparent whenever it would be a first responder coming out of the rubble, uh-huh. you would know. Sometimes you lay, they'd lay a helmet on the, the bag. Yeah. But you would know, like, firefighter coming through. They would say something like that. How do you get maybe these I, images? Maybe I, did, maybe I did get a little traumatized from this. <laughs> like, I'm getting sensitive. Sorry, man. Yeah, well, I think, like we said earlier, I think you've compartmentalized this, and we're kind of opening the compartment a little bit. Yeah, I know. I don't think I want to open it. <laughs> um we'll go as much as you're comfortable with no no about. i'm fine dude i'm fine i'm just yeah. messing with you i mean it it's good to this is what therapy is all about yeah i know, you know? but I, I don't want to have therapy on the gary hour jesus i'm gonna start crying like and then when i was like four i just want to get it to a point where i can invoice you at the end of this podcast yes. <laughs> <laughs> i already feel like you're getting close to it dude yeah i know I'm gonna start typing Dude, now. You're actually, you're actually a pretty good interviewer, man. I'm I'm impressed. I gave you props as soon as you cut earlier. <laughs> We're creaking the door open of your compartment. So let me just break it down so you don't have to keep asking questions. Okay. Essentially, I went through the high school, got onto a bucket brigade, and then we just kept going. I kept going straight, barely sleeping. Did you ever just want to leave and say, oh, I've had enough? I, I did, eventually. After how long? I, I think mean... it was like three or four days. Wow. Yeah. I, you... I, I don't really... You know, honestly, I had a journal, and I had a bag full of everybody I met in a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, at one point, I stayed in Embassy Suites. Like, the cops kicked in the door. Uh, they kicked in the door of the Embassy Suites? Yeah, like, they let people people that were volunteering, they let... Oh, because the whole area was abandoned. Yeah. It was evacuated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they just kicked open a door for, so people could have a place to sleep. Yes, Embassy Suites. They were okay. letting people use this Embassy Suites to... That's people great. that were working on the pile, to just, allowed to go lay down and put their head down. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, man, This there's no... It's no wonder you have to block some of this stuff out. I mean, but your training I wasn't traumatized by the gore. It was more the collective pain, like yeah. the collective pain of just seeing everybody's faces and the actual people that survived and were helping. Yeah. The people in the bucket brigades, the, the people that were working around the site. Yeah. Some people were all business, but the ones that weren't, you're just like, Jesus, like, come on, dude, like get out of here. Mm-hmm. Go home to your family. Like What do you mean? People are just hanging around? You could just see people. Uh, a couple times, I feel like I've witnessed PTSD. 
Right. You know? Yeah. I, one morning, one of the, the most prominent memory I have from the entire experience is a young police officer found um, a woman's leg and it still had a high heel on it. Mm-hmm. And I saw him holding it and just threw up on it. And then I saw another one of like a senior guy come over and help him out. He threw up on it? Yeah. Wow. It was awful. Yeah. It was the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Because I saw this guy just being like in shock, like, holy shit, this right. is somebody's leg. I don't know if I I don't know if I want this on a podcast though. Well, if you look at someone, especially if you look at them in their I eyes. I shouldn't I mean that's a really personal thing. Like if that guy That's your personal thing. I know. If you look at someone in the eyes and you sense or see their pain, you kind of take that in. Yeah. You know, and that could be heavier to deal with than seeing just a body part even, perhaps. You know, it's the emotion I mean, of things. The emotion of things uh, I mean, I worked in a really crazy trauma unit. It was a little unit, but people were fucked up. In Atlantic so, like, City? Yeah, in Atlantic City. So I, I didn't have, like, you know, I didn't feel uh, like the gore of it affected me as much as seeing people's pain. Mm-hmm. You know? like what? Like that instance is probably one of the strongest memories i have right and i just felt a low just like jesus like i i just started crying yeah i just i started crying i lost it well they say that's what sticks with us is the emotion of a thing rather than the actual thing yeah like your memories that stick with you as a child are ones that you remember the feeling you had yeah. You'll remember the feeling you had of that thing more than you'll remember the actual surroundings and the details. Yeah. yeah. Those yeah. are the things that get imprinted on us. Yeah, for sure. And that's why it's interesting to hear about this and the compartmentalization because you have to do that. You have to compartmentalize. And yeah. same with just living in New York. Yeah. Same with just taking the I subways. think we're filled with compartments. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why therapy is uh, blossoming. Uh, yeah. It's great. You'd be a great therapist, by the way, if I ever cast one in a movie. <laughs> well, I'm not okay. a therapist, but I, I play one in real life. Man. Gary, we have to create our own worlds. Hence the Gary hour. So you stayed there for three or four days, you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why did you leave? Did you just feel like you've, you had enough? Yeah. Totally burnt out. Tired, exhausted. Yeah. I was so fucking dirty. Mm-hmm. I, I like smelled. I smelled like shit and burnt. burnt. I smelled like burnt insulation. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know, like, I don't know what else to say. It was so such a distinct smell in that ground zero. There must have been a lot of camaraderie there. People were very, very kind to each other. Yeah. Um, although I did see some fights. Um, some guy tried to steal from the fire department. Like people were still being shithead <laughs> classic New Yorker. People are just stealing. Yeah. There, there was a, some guy was trying to make off with a piece of equipment mm-hmm. and the cops caught him. Oh my God. Yeah. That's... And just beat his ass. <laughs> like just beat him. They just beat him up. Yeah. And they arrested him, but arrested him aggressively, you yeah. know? And, uh, I was just like, I, I, two things. One, like, have, like, you, like somebody make sure that they don't, Cause these guys are really stressed out. Yeah. 
you know, really stressed out. Mm-hmm. It's a stress you know, and you're going to yeah. see some fucking guy has the balls to come up and try to steal from a rescue operation. Yeah. I was just like, please, I hope they don't pulverize that guy. Mm-hmm. Did it give you any perspective? Because, I mean, that's kind of the first time we've really been attacked on our land in the United States. And, uh, you know, other yeah. countries are dealing with this stuff a lot more often than we are. Yeah. Um, I... I think along with the whole world was shocked, mm-hmm. just completely shocked that it was even possible. Yeah. You know, like fucking who knew a guys with a bunch of fucking shitty 99 cent box cutters. Yeah. You know, um, you know, and, 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 you know, to the spirit of, you know, fighting for freedom, like some of those people fought that plane that went down in Pennsylvania, they took it down. They took it down. Like this guy's like, we're going to bump, like people are getting texts on their phones. Mm -hmm. It's an attack. The towers were right. Attacked. And people were just like, fuck these guys. Yeah. And you you knew that when you were going in, I, I don't remember. Honestly, to be honest, Mm -hmm. I don't really remember how I felt other than just sad. Yeah. That's the only thing I remember about the whole experience. I felt, um, I didn't feel proud that I was there. Right. I didn't feel like the whole world is watching this. Right. I didn't feel like, like I, I didn't feel like I was doing anything special. Mm-hmm. You like, didn't feel like a hero. I did not at all. And I'm to this day, I'm not a hero just cause I went there. It's pretty brave and it's pretty bold and badass. I don't know. I think a lot of people would have been cowards and ran the other way away from that. I I don't know, man. I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I guess there would have been the place flooded with people if everybody was running towards it, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, your training, your experience also has part of it. Yeah. But I mean, you know, part of it was I literally legitimately thought I could go there and lend a hand as a nurse to, to, if not just talk to people. Right. Because nurses do a lot of their own counseling. And you did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. without that experience, I think you might have gotten there and passed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the average person might have gotten there and just been like... I definitely went up to the, guy, the, the, the young police officer and consoled him. You did? Yeah. Because you, you've seen more gore than he it, has. it wasn't even that. It was just like, as a human to human, like it had nothing to do with what I had seen. It was just like, I saw his pain. Right, and I went up and I was like, you know, it's okay, man. But your training and experience prepared you for that. I I think that I didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, your, your training, your training. You're never prepared to see, to go into carnage and pull out body parts. That there's no training for that. But the experience of dealing with people that are very sad mm-hmm. is, you know was the asset in those moments, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it's just so many people's lives affected, you know, and directly you know, so many people with dads and so many babies born to people that were deceased. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just mind boggling, you know, mm-hmm. to think how many people, collectively experience this trauma and all over the world people got ptsd from 9-11 in australia yeah you know 
Yeah. Um, you never know what's going to trigger somebody's past yeah. pains that are stored in the water of their cells. Exactly. Kids that saw it on TV. I don't, you know. Kids were building blocks after but, that. But, you know. Oh, by the way, on a lighter note, I brought you some cookies, dude. Uh, I like cookies. I'm not really Here's the hungry bag. right I'm, now. I'm putting the bag into the mic so you can get the effect of Scotty being changing the subject yes. with some sweets. Very nice. Okay. These are um, my we could, favorite. We could change the subject a bit. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I'm, I'm this curious. is going to be the most depressing <laughs> Gary hour in the history of mankind. There's some pretty depressing episodes. Are there? Yeah. Oh, God. I hope, like... I, I'm like kind of. I'm not sure eating is a. I'll, can I save this cookie for later? Oh, okay. Do you uh, not want me to eat right now? It's can not a great sound to oh, listen to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, can I eat to the side? Just one bite. A hero must eat. <laughs> yeah. You can. Crunch. Are you up the crunching of the cookie? See? Oh, wow. Sorry. Yeah. We all need therapy. Gary can, <laughs> can edit that cookie out. No edits. I needed a cookie after that 9-11 bit. I really don't edit this podcast. Really? Yeah. Wow. Man, I hope I didn't say too much. <laughs> no, I don't think you said enough. All right. Um, let's, let's, let's move on, okay? Yeah, yeah. All right. You don't have to... I put the cookies away. Dude. Okay. They are kind of noisy. They're the crispy kind. Mm-hmm. Stuffing your face with cookies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you decided to leave. You smelled horrible, I'm sure. Did you go to your friend Ryan's to shower? Uh, where did I go? I went to a bar, actually, right out of 9-11. You did? Mm-hmm. I, I heard was, the bars were packed. I no, I went to that stupid bar with the bras on the walls over in the meat packing. I think I know that with the uh, like yeah. the where the bartenders insult you and shit. I don't know. Okay, it's like a saloony type place. I forget the name of it. It's kind of a famous bar. Okay, where people dance on the bar, maybe Coyote Ugly. Is there one over there? Maybe I don't know, but it doesn't matter. But. So you went to a bar right after you needed so, a drink. So I actually got a ride from uh, a bunch of military guys mm-hmm. in a Humvee. Uh-huh. They picked me up and were like, where do you want to go? Yeah. And I was like... A bar. To have a drink. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, yeah. take me to go get a drink. Did they join you? No. They were really cool, though. They like were like, hey, man. you know, They were amazing. They were all young, like a bunch of 19-year-olds. So when you go into this bar, right from the devastation site... Ground Zero, you must have been quite a spectacle. No, there was a lot of people there. There were? There were a lot of people in helmets and that had been there. And Okay. Um, the military took this whole operation over. Um, I don't know how many days after, but they militarized the checkpoints. They turned the entire thing into a crime scene. Mm-hmm. People were getting searched for their cameras and film. Wow. You know, it was all like the government's property. Um, and I got searched and I was like, shit, I had the camera like in my pants. You yeah. Know? Why, why were they, do you think they would have taken your camera? Oh, of course. Yeah. They were looking for, they because once they declared the whole area, this big crime scene and the military came in and kind of like actually made it harder to go in and out of ground zero. Yeah. Um, they had orders to search people. But I why, got searched. But why take 
cameras. Because if you took pictures, if you were taking, who knows what people were taking pictures of. Right. People were having their cameras out taking pictures all around Ground Zero, the rescuers, the bucket brigades. Who knows what were on those. Right. And since the whole thing was one big investigation. Right. You know, oh, so it's evidence. They're evidence. taking it as evidence. They're taking it as evidence or for what, I, who knows what their rationale was for gotcha. taking it. Evidence, that, that makes sense. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I, I just yeah. was like, I got mine out. Mm-hmm. And then I took it to a photo mat in Philly and I have like the, the worst, maybe it was the heat, yeah. but overexposed. Like I have a cup, like I got like out of the whole roll of 24, like five really good pictures. Do you still have the film? Yeah. Maybe someone could develop them a little better than a photo mat in Philly. <laughs> oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I yeah. do. I have them in an envelope. If you have the film, it takes some expertise to. Can they like take out the pixelation and stuff? Are there like yeah. programs? Yeah. What? You can do some oh, okay. crazy stuff with That's what, good to know. I'm, the factual film. I do actually have the film, yeah. Yeah, because you, you would use different solution, different light. You can develop that a little oh, differently, okay. I think. Do you know this? Well, is a, there like a company or something? Like, is there like a new Kodak or something? Like well, I'm not an expert. B and H photo. I'm not an expert, but I did take a photo class in community college. I would say you look, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie. You look like the expert at everything from community college. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he taught science. He taught was a math teacher. So, after you left, you're at the bar, and uh, what's your next move? Do you have to go back to Atlantic City to? Yeah, go back I did. To I, I think I stopped at my buddy Ryan's. Um, and then I made my way back to Atlantic city to the shore house. I had other shifts to work. Mm-hmm. I missed a bunch of work. Like I missed like, I think a week worth of work. Mm-hmm. Cause I had, th- I was working three twelves. I was on it working for an agency, but I was doing 10 to 12 hour shifts yeah. and night shifts. But they were okay with you leaving. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't give me any crap. They right. weren't like, did you, you take abandon- any days off between being at ground zero and no I was saving for school so I, I worked straight through i went straight back to work as soon as i could start working i was saving money for my anesthesia training uh-huh it was expensive back then but now would be considered cheap yeah yeah no days off just right back in right back in if you had to do it again would you take a day off no I had, a, I had a mission, dude. Mm-hmm. I had a mission. I didn't have any rich parents. Yeah. I didn't want to graduate with $100,000 worth of debt. Right. You know, I wanted to go in, knock it out, get a real job. Yeah. And then eventually be able to follow my passion. So you were just in Atlantic City for that job? Yeah, I was in the Atlantic City. The su- it was before I was starting my schooling. Mm-hmm. So I was working out there as an agency travel nurse. So you got your nursing degree first, then you got your degree in anesthesia. In, in anesthesia. It's a post. It's a postgraduate degree in in nursing. So I have a master's of science in nursing anesthesia. Okay. And and then you get a certification that makes you a certified registered nurse anesthetist, which basically means you're a perpetual anesthesia resident. You do all the work. Yeah. So you're just knocking people out all the time. Yeah. Why did you want what 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 made you gravitate to that um you know you always had a fondness for dr kevorkian no i uh my dad had a friend that was one uh-huh. and she was crushing it in virginia and i had it in my head that i wanted to do other things in life and mm-hmm. i wanted to make 
the best living I possibly could in the shortest amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I knew that you could really concentrate your hours in that profession. Uh, uh-huh. And it was one of the highest paying nursing professions at the time. So you could work a short amount of time, make a bunch of money and get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, I also really liked science. You know, anesthesia, there's a lot of math and there's a lot, you have to know a lot of physiology, mm-hmm. like a lot of heart and lung physiology. And uh, you ever it's really a- interesting. I mean, anesthesia is, you know, you're, 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 there's a lot of physics involved, like the ideal gas law. What's that? Uh, Gary, <laughs> you want to start talking about physics? Two yeah. <laughs> so no, it's just there's just different laws of physics that help you um, titrate your gases. It helps you realize different effects of why ga- how gas flows into uh-huh. tubes. Yeah, how of the, of the human body. Yeah, yeah. And, so there's different and, and veins. How how quickly you can run in fluid and how gravity influences that. So there's, there's a lot just... of different laws that that govern yeah all of the principles of medical physiology it's all intertwined Gary. there's not just one anesthesia that knocks everyone out well uh no there's a lot of different methods to get somebody under anesthesia some people aren't knocked out there's regional anesthesia there's peripheral nerve blocks mm-hmm. like we could stick medicine in your brachial plexus nerve which is right here it's up in your up by my there's, there's several angles that you can take to get to this nerve and you could totally numb up somebody's arm and op- operate on your wrist while you're sitting there wide awake. Wide awake. It's just affecting my arm. And I, my brain will it, be totally you're, 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 You will numb your arm. You can numb your arm. You right. give a bunch of uh, local sure. anesthesia. Like Novocaine or something. Yes, yeah. yeah. Any of the canes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and some of them last longer. And you can get your arm blocked up to 14 hours. And, and people... We do it a lot for post-operative pain. Have you have you studied acupuncture at all? No, but I have a good friend that's an acupuncturist. Okay, because I went to this when I lived in Los Angeles. I went to this acupuncturist who was pretty renowned. He was the acupuncturist for the Korean bobsled team in yeah. the Olympics. Wow! And I had a carpal tunnel situation happening in my arm. Yeah. And he sat me down in a chair and he told me he's going to stick a couple needles in that same place by my collarbone. Yeah. And he's told me, don't be alarmed, but I'm going to stick a couple needles in, right here, and you won't be able to feel or move your arm. <laughs> what? And it totally worked. Wow. He put those needles in, and I was looking at my hand and my arm, and I was I know I was, my brain was sending the signals to move it. Yeah. And it just wouldn't move. Wow. And he just sat me like that for maybe five minutes, and he took the needles out, and the carpal tunnel was gone the wow. pain was completely gone where where was this were you like in some fucking back alley in beijing <laughs> like where? pretty much I that mean, guy this, sounds like miyagi son and shit you know no he showed me eight by tens of him doing open uh open skull surgery with, wow. and the anesthesia were needles wow and you could see the guy's face was he was a lot he was a, awake yeah but the needles yeah. were in his brain so essentially he was giving a skull block with acupuncture yeah i yeah. guess wow That's it made me a believer 
That sounds awesome. I mean, yeah, this wasn't back alley of Beijing, but it was a strip mall in Los Angeles. Oh, really? <laughs> of course, L.A. Totally. It was a the strip guru mall. of the guru of acupuncture in outside of a Seven Eleven in Malibu. Totally. You just wouldn't even. What is even Malibu? It's just some random place in hilarious. Los Angeles. Fluorescent lighting. Do you like L.A.? Uh, yeah, I liked it. You yeah. know, it is. It's like most places. It is what you'll make of it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. yeah. I like the beach towns. I mean, I I haven't I've had good and bad experiences in LA, you know, but like everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, but the weather there is awesome. I'm so sick of these gross Stop trying to change the subject. <laughs> Let's get back to you. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you did your time in Atlantic City. You're saving up. Dude, I mean, you're really this is going to be a 5-hour podcast if you go through the entire 9/11 stuff. No, oh, we're, we're, we're getting we're done with nine eleven. We're getting oh. to we're getting to you. Oh, okay. We're getting to you and and the now. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you want me to fast forward? Sure. Okay. So I got a job out of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, made a bunch of money down in Florida. Brought, come yeah, to New made York. a bunch of money, and then I lost a bunch of money in the Florida real estate bust. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, and then um, always wanted to explore writing and create. Uh, content and mm-hmm. uh, always been a huge fan mm-hmm. of stand-up comedy just fucking love it it's yeah like my one of my favorite things to watch you know you just ever, to see the people's you, you ever know, think of, they, it must be it might be very difficult but is it possible to bring the nursing stuff with your comedy i mean all the trauma you saw dude have you heard seen? i mean gary come on man i have so many jokes about anesthesia and nursing you do yeah I don't think I've seen any of that. I've seen the uh, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Stephen Hawking. Wow, that joke. That joke is uh, a shell for a while. I rewrote it, I, but it's the Stephen Hawking. When it works, that joke crushes. <laughs> yeah, that joke might have died with Stephen Hawking. Though, uh, right? Who knows? <laughs> we might. It might have. Do you feel like uh, your urge to do comedy has something to do with all the trauma you've seen? Um, you know, I just love it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I, I mean, I'm really focused on. Uh, trying to get heat from by selling good content yeah you know you've got uh, the comedy commune going on yeah that's really going great tell us what the comedy commune is um it's just a, it's essentially just a, a like a home a homey really intimate homely really homey, ugly. homely. yeah it's homely <laughs> no it's really like a, it's just a really comfortable comedy show mm-hmm it's really, it's like, you know, I take care of all the comforts. Yeah. I pass out snacks. People drink free beer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, they're cheap tickets. The lineups are great. Yep. Um, I'm, I pay the comics as much money as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Like, I really. It's always a good show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the show's always good. The crowds are always hot. Yep. Um, there's a really, there's a pretty regular following and. The last five shows, except for the last one, have sold out like in within a day. Nice. Where can yeah. people go to find out about the next one? Um, we have a Instagram. Uh, you can check out Comedy Commune on Instagram and also our Facebook page. But the shows are purely email list driven. And the email is goodkarmacomedy at gmail.com. Got to be in the know. Yeah. People get one email a month. One tells email. You, tells you uh, where the show is. You can't handle one email. I know. Seriously. (laughs) Seriously. You've done it a bunch, man. I have. I've done that. It's a fun show. I mean, it's always been good. It's running itself now. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've written a bunch of things that I'm trying to get made. Mm 
mm-hmm. and uh, I'm produce at, like yeah yeah yeah. I want to fully produce a 25 minute pilot. Nice. Um, uh, the cast, if I can get the people I want, is going to be amazing. So you're still doing anesthesia. You just go down, yeah, and you do it, yeah, for a week, and then you come back, yeah, pretty much. You just make your money, and you're allowed. Well, the to thing do that. of it is, is that I, I I'm working just enough so my wife doesn't think I'm a total loser. <laughs> <laughs> like just like I work just enough to where she doesn't look at me and be like, "Oh God, I married the wrong person. This right. guy's such a bum." You're just trying to ride that line. Yeah, I try to ride a line because it's like a fine line of like my wife. My wife is like really like very supportive. She's amazing. But is this industry that flexible where you can go and do it for a week and then... Um, I work in a place that is... I've been there forever and um, I'm very much... Uh, I like actually like working there. Like I like all the people and I like everybody I work with and I like the company and yeah. they're really cool and I don't have to... Uh, I can go... I'm interchangeable in their puzzle. Mm, nice. They can put me anywhere in their puzzle and it works. So it's I'm an easy person to book yeah for work there well if you work one week a month it's pretty easy to like it yeah i guess yeah but no it's an intense it's intense when i work i I go there and i um uh sometimes i cover this night shift it's seven days straight 13 hour night shifts wow and you hold various beepers so you could be up in obstetrics and it's like one guy covering Mm -hmm. 28 slots Wow. Where potentially all those slots can be full with screaming pregnant women, and you're the go-to guy for epidurals, and if they need a C-section, you're the go-to guy to give them anesthesia for that. And it's 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 a very stressful. <laughs> yeah. I would say probably one of the most stressful jobs to have because you have a lot of responsibility. Yeah, there's a lot of people uh, that you're looking after and managing their uh, anesthetic needs, so to speak. Yeah, you know, you could have twelve epidurals running. And you could have done four C-sections throughout the night. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's busy. But they, the place I work is doubling up. They're putting two people up there now, which is really good. Yeah. Sounds like a great deal. Sounds like a great situation you've got going on. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I love my uh, the, the place. You like uh, your life? I'm, yeah, I love my life. Man, my life is great, dude. That's good. I love my apartment. Um, my wife is absolutely the the best person I know. She's such good energy all the time. Mm -hmm. Zero drama. Mm -hmm. I don't even, I, to this day, I don't even think we've really had a fight, but I don't want to tell her that. Like, you know, I'll I'll edit that out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Please edit that one out. Jeez. My wife would hilarious. She's like, seriously, you never think we ever had a fight. And then I'll, like, no, not really. Obviously you haven't been paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) She's a saint. Yeah, she, she is, is the, and she's super fun too. She's I've like, met her. I've ridden the subway with her. She's very nice. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, dude. she's really athletic too. It's it's fun to have a sporty spice for a wife because she. <laughs> you call her sporty spice? She does everything, man. <laughs> she does everything. She skis. She mm-hmm. runs. She does yoga. She's fun. Like she. Yeah. Can throw a football. She's she's really athletic. Like dialed in. That's great. You, you know? seem happy. Yeah, I hope you, my. I, she's pregnant right now. She yeah. is. Yeah. Babies do. 20 i think we're 23 weeks this week and i'm totally hoping the kid has her build <laughs> and her physique and her shoulders like mm-hmm. i'm like uh, like out of us too like i sometimes i lay next to her in bed and i just look at myself like <laughs> that's all that comes out and my brain is just 
like like my dad bod with my bitch tits. Like, I, I look gross, dude. This is the grossest I've ever looked in my entire life. You're like a terrible, ugly female. <laughs> I'm like the. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but I <laughs> I just look at myself like, dude, you need to fucking snort kale and just do abs constantly. Like, like you're just like. I'm starting to lift, though. I, I mean, when you get over the age of 40, dude, yeah, it really is beneficial to work out your big muscle groups mm. because it helps you release your own natural hormones so you're not just this downtrodden bitch. Right. You know? Jog, run. Jogging and running is good, but also, like, doing power movements is better for older men. Mm. Like get, Using the muscles? Deadlifts. Yeah. You know, squats. That's the secret to, yeah. to the youth. It really is. I think so. Eating healthy. And that's that's coming from a medically trained person. Eating healthy, not smoking cigarettes is probably the number one. People just, it's so funny. I see all these like little modely hipster kids around my neighborhood and they just like smoke cigarettes like a crack whore. And I'm just like, man, there's a switch in you genetically. (laughs) Keep going. Like you can shut it off before a certain age, but once there's a point of no return where you just look like a handbag, you know, Mm -hmm. dries you out. Uh, Yeah. It dry. It just ages you on the inside. Yeah. And I love seeing these people roll their own. I'm just like, what a fucking idiot, but it's organic American spirit, man. It's like you fucking, Dumbass. Like, I just look at you like every, all I look at people is their risk factors for various types of cancer. When I see them smoking, I'm just like, well, I'm sure with all this medical experience, you just kind of see it's just a, a possible smoking future. is single handedly the worst thing you could do for your health. Yeah. And the, the, the most astounding thing that I see are people putting out their cigarette and then mm-hmm. walking into like a fucking Williamsburg juice bar. Right. And buying a twelve fifty. Give me the pure organic kale smoothie and I only require fair trade organic chia seeds. You but isn't like, that kind of evening it out? No. You know, if you're gonna no. smoke you might no, well dude. Be healthy. You might as well not throw your t- twelve fifty in the trash. <laughs> You know what I mean? Save your money and go eat at food right. You're mm. the medically trained one, so I'll take your opinion. No, it's just people You're, are just it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And uh, did, we, did we miss anything? Mm. Feel good? Yeah, I feel great, man. Okay. Yeah, I think good. I think it's long enough. How long have we been going at it? Uh it's been about seventy five minutes or something. Uh okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I I uh I hope we didn't open the compartment too wide where no, dude. It was interesting. I had never really been... Your interview was really the most... Other than my wife mm-hmm. or family members, the deepest I've ever gone down the old... What did you do? <laughs> you know? Okay, good. I, I, I got to compile a... I'm going to try to really sit down and remember the exact days. Well, I think it's healthy to talk about stuff. Yeah, I mean... I I I met a lot of people. The The biggest... The biggest thing that I if I had any regrets is I left this bag mm-hmm. of all the people that I met mm. names and emails and yeah. people that I met yeah. was in this one bag and I left it in my ex fiance's shorehouse basement mm-hmm. and it just got tossed. I was like, where's that bag? I need that bag. And it had my helmet and it's like all this stuff. And then I had this little notebook of like people I've met their emails or contacts mm-hmm. and just gone. I had a pair of Rockport boots and a binder I got from this embassy suites that has some facts. It's some, almost an act of terrorism. 
<laughs> I, I can't imagine anyone's thought process. I, I don't even, I, I honestly don't think they did it on purpose. I just think. I hope not. I, I wouldn't, I would think that they didn't. You know, I'd like to think they didn't. Yeah, but. that's pretty, it's pretty nasty even for uh, X Love. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't think, to be honest, I don't, I don't think it was done out of malice. I think I just kind of didn't realize where it was and then mm-hmm. it was way after. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I need this bag. And they were just like. But if anyone's hearing this that was there that met you, they can contact you. I'll put your. Uh... Yeah, Scotty Lavelle. Mm-hmm. I was a nurse from an ACMC Medical Center. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there were two guys that drove from Oklahoma that I sat with that they were there from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll put a, there'll be uh, links in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. This podcast. Yeah. So I got, I got interviewed by a French film crew. So that footage is somewhere maybe nice. in the government archives. Right. They probably uh, I got walk. right when I was walking off the pile to go home, I got interview a full interview on camera with some property of the U S government. Yeah. Now I don't know if he was from France or probably from Canada. Yeah. Montreal, possibly. Either way, it's been seized. <laughs> Who knows, man? That guy... <laughs> the French are slick, man. Maybe they got out. Monsieur, this tape is empty. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty, thanks for talking to yeah, us. Yeah, dude. Thanks, Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart.